Welcome into Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined, as always, by McCade Pearson. We've got some special bonus episodes planned for you, a little mini-series talking about eight and a half different teams. And what we're doing here with this is just comparing these teams to the Utah Jazz. So, McCade, do you want to give a little bit of a primer as what we're going to be talking about over these eight episodes and what fans can look for? Yeah, I think we have five or six teams from this decade and then three teams from the previous decade. So all the teams are within the last 20 years, uh, going back to the 0176ers. We're talking Pistons, Mavericks, Magic, Warriors. Um, but we're just going to spend 30, 40 minutes with these different people. A lot of these people covered the teams we're going to talk to them about, or at the very least, we're very involved, hardcore fans. And we're just going to say, hey, what was it like then? What went well? Why did you win a championship? Why didn't you win a championship? Did you make a trade at the deadline? Did that matter at all? should be a lot of fun. I keep that for those the next few weeks. Not only are we bringing in some outside voices and people who don't watch the Jazz 72 or 82 games a year, but we're bringing in people who... They watch their own teams just like we do. They come at it from the fan perspective. We've got some people like Marilyn Dubinsky and Sean Corp from the Detroit Pistons and San Antonio Spurs who grew up watching their teams and they were fans when these teams won their titles and now they are beat writers and they're covering the teams professionally. So we get two different perspectives. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be worth your time to listen to, as McCade said, probably 30 to 40 minutes an episode, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. But without further ado, here's Lauren Gunn talking the 2010-11 world champion Dallas Mavericks. This was going to be our year, but then I saw them play. Welcome into Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined, as always, by McCade Pearson. We're back at it again, day two, with several pods planned. How you doing, McCade? We're doing good. We're rolling back. Today, we are going to be discussing the 2010-11 Dallas Mavericks with a returning all-star guest. We've got Lauren Gunn from the Blue Hardwood podcast. Uh, I, I can't even go through all your credentials, Lauren. You're going to have to do that for us. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I, I write for Mavs Moneyball uh, along with I, I also co-host uh, the Gunshot podcast with my brother, Grant Gunn. And, and like you said, I co-host the Blue Hardwood uh, with Brian Zillum. So, yeah, that is that is the resume. <laughs> and uh, you know, longtime listeners of Home Court Press, you might remember Lauren from when the Mavericks came into Salt Lake. Uh, I don't even know when that was. Was that January for back-to-back games? That sounds about right. That was, uh, that was not a fun trip for Dallas, but, you know. <laughs> it was a fun trip on our end. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about this 2010-2011 Dallas Mavericks team. We're continuing our comparison pod series with the current iteration of the Utah Jazz and some teams that it's been suggested the Jazz look like or thing, teams that McCade and I feel like they resemble or just you know pieces of teams, maybe styles of play. So we've got this... 2011 Dallas Mavericks, they end up winning the championship. This is the team that beat the Miami Heat their first year as the Heatles, you know, with LeBron James and Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, obviously, down in Miami. And it was, from my recollection, Lauren, and and you might have to refresh my memory, this was kind of a surprise Dallas Mavericks championship team, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, In 2010, or or the season before, we traded for... 
um, Tyson Chandler because back in, well, I guess to even go back a little bit further in 2006, we didn't quite have all the pieces together uh, to, to, to beat Miami in that 2006 finals. And, and even forward or going forward a couple of years later, we just, we never had uh, a dominant big. There were, there were just pieces that we were missing. And so it finally seemed like, Hey, we not only are winning a bunch of games, but we're, I mean, we're taking down tough teams and, and they, they feel maybe they feel outmatched by us, or I'm not sure what exactly it is, but we've got something special going on here. And so uh, that year was, was definitely different. And I guess going into that, that playoff run and the teams that we did beat to eventually make it to the finals and then win the finals, it was, it was, it was surprising to say the least. Yeah, and this was, I, I look at the makeup of this team. This was a veteran-laden team, pretty much every contributing player besides the immortal Roddy Bobois that was untouchable for so many years in Dallas. But, you know, they had uh, some free agents. They had brought in Peja Stoyakovich was a guy in his 12th year. They had Jason Kidd trying to get his first ring in his 17th year. Dirk Nowitzki, of course, the legend in Dallas, was playing his 13th season, and Jazz fans are really familiar with the the type of situation that Dirk was going into this season where we had John Stockton and Carl Malone for so many seasons, 16, 17, 18 years here in Utah, and they reached a point in their careers where the, the question was not, are the Jazz going to win a championship? It was, are these Hall of Fame players ever going to get that chip? And the right. questions were starting to come with Dirk Nowitzki. Was he ever going to have the team around him to finally get that long-desired championship? And obviously they were able to, to put it together. I remember Tyson Chandler being a huge part of this team. He was in his 10th season as well. So, I mean, just get us started off, Lauren. What do you remember from this team? What are some special memories? And you know, what, what do you think was the biggest factor in their championship push? Oh man. Well, there's, I guess I have to start with, with some where, yeah, I guess we'll start, we'll, I'll just share two of, of my greatest memories from that run. Um, so I was actually fortunate enough to be at game three of the Lakers series. Um, and so that was obviously we went up three Oh, and I remember walking out of the American Airlines center with my dad and I looked up and there was this big electronic billboard that said Mavs up three Oh, and there was like a broom, like gift back in the day <laughs> in 2011 before gifts were really like full on. And I was like, oh, my God, are we about to sweep Kobe's Lakers? Like, what does that mean if we sweep Kobe's Lakers? And so that was really kind of a moment. That was the moment for me where I was like, this team is for real. And so I was, I was very pumped. And, and then we ended, up, we ended up sweeping the Lakers. It was crazy. And then I was also fortunate enough to be at game five of the finals. And so we lost mm. that game. But the intensity in that arena, I've never felt anything like that. I don't know if I will again. I hope I will but it was unreal. So getting to, I guess, getting to see two games all throughout that playoff run in person and, and watching every single game, it, it was so crazy to watch this team kind of go round, through each round, essentially like slaying these dragons. And I think the reason that I was so looking forward to having this conversation with you guys is because to me there really are so many similarities between this team, this 2011 Mavericks team and, and the current Utah team. I mean, this Utah team is far outperforming what we did in our regular season back uh, in 2011. But one thing that I thought was so interesting was that the, uh, the preseason odds to win the title for Dallas, it was uh, plus 2000. And, and for Utah, it was this year, this year. I want to say, where is it? It's right here. Uh, plus 4,000. Plus 4,000. I'm like, that's insane. And look at them now. And so the, the, I think the theme is kind of nobody expected 
everyone's looking at the big market teams and everyone's looking at the stars and what they're doing and or the, like the, the big names. And so flying under the radar and, and the biggest theme I should really say is, is the whole is the greater is greater than the sum of its parts for both for both of these teams. And I think that's what's so dangerous when you get into playoffs. So for Dallas going into the, those playoff series, I think a lot of teams were underestimating them. I mean, they went up against Portland who had Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, these guys who had playoff experience and, yeah, they respected Dirk, but, I mean, they had their experience. And then going up against the Lakers, obviously seeing what Kobe did, and then against OKC with this young, firepower team with, with Russ and KD and James Harden. I mean, tough teams. And then you go up against the Heatles. And so everyone is banking on you to lose. Nobody expects you to do anything. And they just went in there and they, they did their business. And I think that that's what we could see. I mean, I don't doubt that Utah could, could is capable of doing the something very similar. And so... Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for me. I hope you're right. Can I ask, with those memories of the, this playoff run, how old were you at the time? Oh, my gosh. I would have been 12. Oh, we're so right in the fanhood wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I was rather young then. Okay, McKay, it's all you. Oh, no, so I was just going to ask because one thing that's really similar with this team is right out of the gate they had numerous big win streaks. You know, the Jazz started 4-4. Four and four. They won 11 in a row. They lost a game. They won nine in a row, and then we've kind of struggled coming in the All Star break. But this Mavericks team comes out of the gate. They're seven and four, and they go on a 12 game win streak, and they lose, and they go on a five game win streak. And they had a rough stretch where they lost nine of 11. But I think Dirk was injured, wasn't he? All through January there. Yeah, that sounds right. I want to say, oh God, I'm going to forget the injury, but yeah, he went down for a little bit. And I remember Rick Carlisle was. They were having. I want to say that that was when we. I'm going to get this wrong, and I don't want to get this wrong. But um, coming out of that stretch, once he was, once he came back from that injury, they were like, okay, we've got to hit the ground running right now. And if we don't, I mean, this is our time to get momentum to to kind of set up and set the stage going into playoffs. And if we don't do it now, we're not going to do anything. I do remember him saying that. I just don't remember what the injury was. That's right. So I just looked it up. Uh, he missed seven. He missed nine games. They went two and seven in those nine games. But then he does get healthy and he takes him a couple games to get up and running. But then you guys go on another 10-game win streak, lose once, and go on another eight-game win streak. So they're just in the first 55 games of the season. You have win streaks of 10, 8, and 12. So you have these big win streaks where I'm sure momentum's building around the city of okay, this could be really good. You guys did have a four-game lose streak right there in the last 10 games of the season that probably kind of cut your it cut your season back a little bit. So you guys finished tied for second with the Lakers. Um, they had the tiebreakers, so they had home court in the second round. It didn't matter. You swept them anyway. But was there the sense the entire season as you're going through these win streaks and seeing the ceiling of these teams um, that this was going to be different than previous years? Because the Mavericks had had some... They've had some bad losses before this. They, you know, obviously have the right. Wrigley Warriors series, and the year before they were two seed and lost to the Spurs, who were seven seed. And so people always like to focus on, okay, you know, you've had those two series. Can Dirk really do it? On the flip side, I will point out they did make a finals in 06, and they did end John Stockton and Carl Malone's era in 01, which we did a podcast on last year. It was like second year Dirk and Steve Nash. And anyway, mm-hmm. they've had some playoff success and legit success, but there was concerns. So just. Was it all out? We have two 10-game win streaks and another 8-game win streak on top of that. We've won 18 and 19 where this is our year. Or was there still that fear of the Heatles on the other side as well as the Spurs were awesome this year and then they get upset by the mm-hmm. Grizzlies. So that helps you have home court advantage in the Western Conference Finals. You still have the young Kevin Durant Thunder. Kobe Bryant's Lakers had made, what, three straight finals coming into the yep. playoffs. So they're, you know, you mentioned you were at that game three. 
what was the vibe? Was it we can do this, or was there a little fear heading into the playoffs? Um, I, I wouldn't say that there was fear, but I I was convinced at that time that we were going to win the whole thing because, like like you said, it was it was the first year of of the heels, and so we're going into I mean going into the season, not even just the playoffs. Everyone is looking at this Miami team like, oh my gosh, can anyone even take them down? And I I nobody was expecting if anyone that it would be the Mavericks, and so it wasn't really a matter of being afraid or thinking that we couldn't do it. Um, but once we started getting, because oh, what I was going to say is that, um, let's see, starting in, in after the, so the, when we first made it to the finals in 06, in, uh, let's see, here we go. And in, in 05, 06, we were 60 and 22. The following season, we were 67 and 15. And then um, all the way up until that, that, that year that we won the finals, we were plus 50 win teams. And so winning in the regular season, wasn't a problem. We were, I mean, we were a solid team in the West, but it was going into playoffs. How far can you really take it? Where, where, where are you going to go? Who can you, is there, who can't you beat? And so going into that year, again, even though Portland was a tough team, I think there was still confidence that we could take them down, even though it was going to be a tough series. Um, but once we went up against LA, kind of like I said before, that was when we really knew that it was for real because we weren't just beating the Lakers. We were, annihilating them and 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 what was it i want to say oh, i don't want to get it wrong i want to say it was game, game four was like minutes. 40 points wasn't game it? four yeah yeah we went i want to say it was like 22 of 32 from three something crazy we set like a record and it was just to send them home on a sweep on that kind of exclamation point not only did you just sweep someone but on a game like that the momentum that you have going into the next series we had all the confidence in the world so that's why i think that was kind of a breaking point for, or not a, a turning point, I should say, uh, for, for people following them out because it was just like, oh, my God. I mean, what, this is for real. Yeah, and I think the way this teams are really built personnel-wise, I think there's, the Jazz were never as good as the 07 Mavericks, but I do think the tinkering of, okay, we're just going to change a player now. Okay, we're going to change Josh Howard. We're going to change Devin Harrison to Jason Kidd. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And just a constant, not minor tinkering, but not they never – did a whole rebuild or anything like that. They just right. tried to change one major piece a year for half a decade, kind of just banging your head against the wall over and over and over until it finally broke. I think it's something Jazz fans are at least hoping for with this team where you have the Gordon Hayward-George Hill team and then Hayward leaves and you beat the Thunder and you have that fun series and then you just can't get past James Harden for a couple of years and so <laughs> you grab on, you bring flavors back, you just do these, not little things, but decently sized things where you're just trying to get through, and I think the Jazz could do that for a couple more years if they don't win it this year, is a very interesting mm-hmm. thing. Um, I do want to talk about the impact of Tyson Chandler because he was yes. the one new piece on this team that they didn't have the year before. And I think Rudy Gobert is better offensively and defensively, but Tyson Chandler mm-hmm. was an all-NBA player. He won Defensive Player of the Year the next year. He was fantastic that entire season. What made you guys decide to do that Eric Dampier for Tyson Chandler trade? And then, I mean, bigger picture than, oh, we won the championship, but what impact did it have? Yeah, so what's, what's so interesting about the Tyson Chandler move was that Dallas doesn't, they really have never had a big like that, or at least it had been a very long time since they had. Um, and so getting someone that was this rim-running guy who had this massive defensive anchor, like Rudy Gobert-type presence was, was huge, and it was com- something completely new to, to the system. Uh, and when you have someone like Dirk, who, you know, the defensive abilities are rather limited, bringing someone in like Tyson changes the game. And you can hide Dirk a little bit more. He, Tyson is, he, I mean, he, he can come over and help and, and come from the weak side and, get, and just swat shots like, 
like nobody's business, I mean, with ease. And so that helped tremendously with our team because defense, Dallas has always had such a strong offensive identity, um, especially just because, primarily because of the Dirk era. But um, bringing in Tyson really was a game changer. And so I think uh, the similarities between the Utah team now, um, I, have it, I have it listed right here, and I was really looking at numbers-wise and kind of roles-wise just to go down the list really quickly. Um, Donovan and Dirk, like obviously the two very completely different players, but uh, Donovan is averaging 25-5-5, and five, close to that, this year, and Dirk was averaging 23-7 and, and two-and-a-half uh, assists the year that we won. And so these are the two guys who the offense is running through. Rudy is averaging 14, 13, and, and nearly two blocks, and Tyson averaged 10, 10, and one block. And so going back to what you were saying, Obert is a, a better version of Tyson Chandler. And so while Dirk might have been a little bit stronger than maybe Donovan is right now at this stage in his career, because it is earlier, um, I, I think that there's enough of a balance. Like Utah has more star power than we did. But at the same time, you have Mike Conley, you have Jordan Clarkson, you have Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like the list kind of keeps going. Joe Ingles, like, there's it really really does come down to uh the sum of what is it the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and so um yeah i think having tyson for us really changed the game because going back to that 2006 series having eric dampier then it wasn't enough and so like you said making those minor changes and and going through and trying to get these these upgrades upgrade where you can without giving up too much um, there were definitely moves along the way that people were like, oh, like when we traded Devin Harris, everyone was like, man, I don't know that I was too happy about that. But eventually you kind of get to the point where it's like, look, we've got complementary pieces and this could be the key to success. And I think when you look at this jazz team right now, that's exactly what they have. Side note, I love Devin Harris. He was great here. Utah this <laughs> year and a half. You're using the word great quite loosely there with Devin Harris. <laughs> I in mean, Utah. when you compare him to Trey Burke and George Hill and Ricky Rubio and first season Mike Conley. He wasn't that bad. Well, that doesn't make um, him great, though. <laughs> and yes, but he was not Darren Williams. Anyway, but I do think that's another thing that's really interesting with the comparison of these teams is for the Jazz, especially going into the playoffs, they're, if they're going to want to win 16 playoff games, which is really, really hard to do, they're going to need a Joe Ingles game. They're going to need a Boyan Bogdanovich game. They're going to need an Ursan Ilyasova game. Um, maybe, I don't know about that one, but they're gonna, you need these one or two, not even games, but just quarters where you get these random moments of, holy crap, this guy just hit back to back to back threes and he has 11 points tonight and we weren't expecting that. And I think that's what his Mavericks team really had is Burke was awesome, especially in the finals and as the playoffs developed, but 37 year old Jason Kidd had these games or at least moments where he looked like prime Jason Kidd. Sean Marion, who's one of my favorite players from this previous generation was the same way, you know, he kind of had up-and-down career after Phoenix, and he kind of gets settled in Dallas, and was just fantastic for this team. Jason Terry's a little different play style, but kind of that same bark off the bench, 18 points per game off the bench um, that Jordan Clarkson is. Uh, J.J. Barea, mm-hmm. uh, the Jazz have an open 15th roster spot, and I would not mind them signing J.J. Barea to that. <laughs> oh, no, I love Barea. I'll that out there. Um, <laughs> but is this just my imagination or do these guys have these moments as you climb through 20 playoff games and picked up 16 wins where you just had so much better an experience that you were able to lean on one guy for a five minute stretch that you just knew you could count on when you had to just fill that little hole and steal a game. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And I guess some of that credit goes to Carlisle because he was able to adjust or make adjustments to uh, cater to certain guys' skill sets, depending on the opponent. Uh, if they were going on hot stretches, I mean, in in the finals we were starting JJ Barea, um, and and all throughout, 
Like we we had had the same starting lineup starting to shut Stevens and all throughout the playoffs, and then the finals roll around, and we start starting JJ Brea because he was just he could just slice the dice through through I don't know what it was, but for whatever reason they couldn't stop him. And so um, some of that credit goes to to Carlisle, but it definitely goes to the guys because, like you said, this was a little bit of an older roster. But Sean Stevenson would come up from time to time. Uh, Corey Brewer would get hot, and like you said, back to back threes or even back to back to back threes, and. Um, and then Peja, obviously, the Serbian sniper was, I mean, he, he was huge. So, um, yeah, having that flexibility to, or I guess just ability in general to, to rely and, and trust that you're going to have guys come off the bench who maybe they didn't play last game, maybe they only played five minutes and just come in and hit big shots and big series uh, is huge. And so, again, again, going back to this Utah team, they have a lot of those guys. And so um I, I i will be very I, i'm a big proponent of i believe that depth matters in the playoffs i don't think you can just have a team that's all-star power and no depth and so um that's why i think if you underestimate teams that maybe your stars aren't as flashy as lebron or or jason tatum or, or jokic or whoever but you cannot discount depth you can't act like that doesn't matter and so i think that that's maybe some people do get caught up in that and they just they don't think it matters but i i really do believe that it will Along those same type of lines, not necessarily the different players that came out and had big games during that playoff run, but I wanted to continue looking at the Mavericks' depth and compare it to what the Jazz have this year. And more so than depth, the versatility that the Mavericks had on this roster. I, I looked down at the basketball reference roster here, and you know Corey mm-hmm. Brewer and Karan Butler and... Uh, Jason Kidd had a lot of defensive versatility. Of course, Sean Marion, Deshaun Stevenson. Uh, you had so many guys that could play and defend a variety of positions, and they all had really good size looking at this team. They're all 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". And I, I think that the NBA today is a little bit smaller overall. So the Jazz mm-hmm. don't have quite that size, but I think comparable to the teams they're going to be facing this season, I think that the Jazz have a lot of the similar versatility that this Mavericks team did on the defensive end. Yeah, I think being able to go, depending on your opponent, if you need to, to kind of hold it down and, and play focus and put more of an emphasis on, on your defensive game or, or the defensive end of the floor, the Jazz have the flexibility to do that. They have shooters. They have guys that can create their own shots, but they also have defenders and, and guys that can get you a stop. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to be – I really am excited for, for this postseason because I – I mean, I, can't, I feel like I keep saying the same thing, but some of these teams that, that everyone's looking at, everyone's expecting to get into the finals – I think they're all kind of saying to themselves, we do not want the Jazz in the first round. We don't. We will take Denver. We will take, you know, that, maybe that, like whoever, but we don't want Utah because while people don't expect Utah to get to the finals or whatever, uh, I think these teams that actually know and, and are seeing how good and what the level uh, the Jazz are playing at and how, how incredible it is, they know, they see it. And so that's not something you want to mess around with because that's how – people underestimate you nobody expects you to do anything and then just like that you're upset and you're out yeah it's really easy for the fifth guy in the rotation to get lost and then end up being such a big piece and the jazz in most lineups probably have the best fourth and fifth players against almost Mm -hmm. any team that they're going to play we mccade and i were talking about it on a different podcast earlier this week how they might not have the best player in almost any series that they're going to play but they've got the best three through seven and yeah, what type a of a point, difference that sure. makes. I mean, just kind of bring it back to the modern day now, I'm personally terrified to play the Mavericks in the first round, 
Um, Dame, Luca, and Steph all scare me with whoever ends up at that eight seed. I'm hoping it's the Pelicans or Spurs or whatnot. But, you know, if we play the Mavericks, um, Luca scares the crap out of me. I'm not that scared of Porzingis. And then outside of that, they have some good players, but I'd take the Jazz 3-7 through seven over the Mavericks 3-7. through seven. That's where that kind of becomes a battle of, okay, the Jazz are the one seed they should win this series, but is that it, basically how much of a fruition does that come to be that the Jazz 3-7 through seven are better than the Warriors 3-7 through seven or the Mavericks 3-7? through seven? Right. Yeah, that's fair. I think Dallas, Dallas's outlook on the playoffs right now, I mean, we definitely have got some things to figure out between now and then, but going up against some of these other teams, I think Dallas is looking at their, pers- their current personnel saying, you know, we do have depth, but there are some areas that are lacking or maybe some individuals that haven't necessarily lived up to the hype this, this, uh, this season. But is Luka going to be that good enough to where – he can outweigh some of the lacking that, or, or where some people have have uh, not lived up to those expectations. Can he just out, outweigh that? And so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, I, I don't really feel like they're going to make any moves at the deadline. Not that that's the conversation that we're having right now, but uh, the playoffs are going to be interesting for sure. So, kind of on the flip side, though, is there any concerns that you see with this comparison to the Jazz? Because obviously, they don't have a Dirk Nowitzki. And this isn't prime MVP two thousand seven Dirk, but this is still really, really, really good. All NBA for sure, Hall of Famer Dirk. Right, but Donovan Mitchell's pretty good. We mentioned Rudy Gobert's mm-hmm. a better version of Tyson Chandler. Are there any other concerns that you have about this comparison? So when I was looking at I'm, for personnel wise, I looked. I compared Mike Conley to Jason Kidd only because of they're a little bit older in their careers, and obviously they're both guards. But Mike Conley is is playing far better than than Jason Kidd was in in his season in that season. Mike Conley is currently averaging sixteen points, three and a half rebounds, six assists. And Jason Kidd was averaging eight points, four and a half rebounds, and eight assists. So the boost that they get from Mike Conley, uh, I mean, that wasn't exactly what we were getting from from Jason Kidd. And then you look at, yeah, Dirk might have been, or Dirk, well, Dirk was better than Donovan Mitchell currently is. But like you said, Gobert might just be that much better than Tyson Chandler was. And so not that they're going to to perform at the the same way, but I think just because Utah doesn't have a Dirk doesn't mean that the star level that they have between both Gobert and Donovan and even the, the boost that you're getting from Mike Conley can't kind of bring it all together. And again, the shooters like Joe Ingles, Bogdan, I think like those guys might give you more production than maybe Sean Marion did consistently enough. And, and Jason, I mean, Jason Terry was coming off our bench, like Jordan Clarkson. I think he need, I think it's a, he's clear to win the six man this year. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't win, I don't, I'm going to have to talk to somebody that doesn't make any sense, but um <laughs> I, I just I think that when I look at the numbers, specifically the numbers, Utah's guys are putting up better numbers all around. And so I, I can't just say, oh, well, that's better than this, and so they're going to win it all. But to try and say, oh, well, this guy isn't going to show up in the playoffs for Utah or this guy isn't going to have that much of an effect, you, just, you can't say that because all of these guys have significant roles. Um, and I'll be very interested to see who their matchups are and what other teams do to try and – uh, defender, I guess, what's the right word? I guess mitigate as much as you can Utah's depth because there are just not many teams in, in the league that have as much depth as, as Utah does. So, I man, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, one of the things that comes with that later, though, is health. Um, this Mavericks team yeah. did really healthy. Jason Terry played 82 games. True. J.J. Barea played 81. Kid Marion both played 80. Chandler Nowitzki both played 72-plus. We mentioned there's some minor injuries there, and then nobody really missed a game in the playoffs. This year, the Jazz have only had two games missed from Donovan. Conley missed five or six, and Ingles missed a couple. But 
staying healthy, when you're this deep, you've got to be able to stay healthy to utilize that depth. And so that's a very minor and out-of-our-control um, concern I have for this Jazz team that the Mavericks are able to do is the Jazz need to stay healthy. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, um, that's, it's one of those things that's just, you know, it's out of your control and, and you do the best that you can. Again, I guess to try, I mean, without reiterating too much what I just said about how Utah's guys are, are producing a little bit more than, than Dallas's, uh, I guess, I don't want to say role players. I feel like that's so, or what's the condescending and I don't, I don't, whatever. Um, but I think Utah's guys are just putting up more. And so, if you do have someone that goes down, you can expect Mike Conley to, to step up. You can expect Jordan Clarkson to step up. So um, I think Utah would be okay unless, you know, you're barring a major injury, which God forbid that happens, but especially when they're having a season like this. Well, you've seen firsthand we don't need Donovan. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Lauren, about just the coaching aspect. Rick Carlisle mm-hmm. is a guy, I, th- I think he's very underrated as an NBA coach. I have him in probably the top six or seven in the league. He might even be a top five guy. I definitely have Quinn Snyder as a top five coach in the league, maybe even top three at mm-hmm. this point. And one thing that I think Rick Carlisle and Quinn Snyder have in common is they're two of the best offensive minds in not just the NBA, but in all of basketball, maybe even basketball history, the way they they build lineups and they maximized various players' strengths, and you know we saw it from the Mavericks last season. Analytically, they were the the most dominant offensive team in NBA history. The Jazz mm-hmm. are looking like a, a similar type of team. What stands out to you about the coaching from these two teams? So I think the biggest thing for me when I'm watching Utah play is how, or, and I guess also when I hear them speak about Coach Snyder is how much they believe in what he's. Uh, the direction that he's trying to, to take this team in. And so you watch his schemes and how he manipulates certain things and just the ball movement and how Utah's offense operates, watching that Dallas team, and, and I guess that's something that they still even try to recreate as best as they can, is continuing to move the ball, always having guys moving and trying to just drive and kick and get efficient shots, but also just, just good looks. You're not trying to necessarily focus on, oh, Ken, this guy's so skilled, let's have him create his own shot. It's about getting everybody involved and getting the best look possible. And, and not only doing that, but having guys from top to bottom of your roster understanding that and kind of believing in that, in that system and that it's the best thing for the team and even in the individuals. And I think that that's a similarity that personnel-wise and coach-wise, uh, that is the biggest similarity in, in these two teams is that they, they understand that it is a team game, but and that even though we have someone like Donovan Mitchell who can just score and he gets whether he gets so hot in the fourth and he can just single handedly defeat another team, he understands and the team understands that there are not necessarily that maybe not that the look that he gets isn't the best look. That's not what I'm trying to say, but that whoever gets the best look is the best look for the team. It's not just one guy. And sometimes when I'm watching other teams, like in the past when I've watched some of these like Houston Rocket teams or, or even former OKC teams, I'm like, yeah, that's not that's not a good shot, and it doesn't really. It seems like there's a disconnect, but I feel like everyone from top to bottom of the roster of, of the 2011 Mavericks and, and the current Utah Jazz all understand and are on the same page of what this team, what their team is trying to accomplish. 
Yeah, it's it's not about who gets the numbers. It's about that the team is able to get the numbers and and get a win at the end of the night. And that's I've got to agree with you. That's one of the things that excites me the most about this Jazz team is mm-hmm. it really takes a special collection of guys that you don't often get, no matter how much a front office might focus on team building and camaraderie and, and looking in the locker room and stuff like that. It's hard to get 15 guys that are honestly pulling for each other instead of themselves mm-hmm. in a league where you're trying to make money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's tough for sure. And so uh, I think that's one of the reasons why certain teams around the league are likable because you can see that. Even if it's not your team, you can see that they enjoy playing with each other. Mm-hmm. They root for each other's success. Even if you've got two guys that are essentially maybe competing for the same spot or, or some of the same minutes, but when you can see that certain guys are just rooting for each other's success, I think those are that's another, uh, I guess, intangible that going into playoffs might take you over that edge. Other teams, that's when mistakes happen. And, and in the playoffs, each possession counts. And sometimes mistakes can, can change the momentum or, or even the outcome of the series. And so when you have people that are on the same page and that are so in sync like that, and I mean, also to talk about continuity, that's another thing that you guys were talking about is, it's how Dallas and, and even Utah, year after year, maybe you're making minor changes, but overall you're trying to keep the same core, you're trying to keep the same, the same coaches around. Um, and so building that continuity, Quinn Snyder, I mean, he's been around. That's why these guys believe in him. And so um, having that continuity, having that chemistry, those are things that really do matter come playoff time. Because if you're not on the same page, uh, and that's why I think maybe Brooklyn – they, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that they're not going to win it, but they might run into some issues where, where mistakes might be made because you do have a new group together, and, and that's something where a team like Utah uh, might not have to worry about as much. The Nets are a team I was going to bring up. I'm glad you mentioned them. I, I think they're the perfect example of, it's hard to say for sure, but they're a team that you look at and you say things could go wrong. You know, you watch them in the regular season, and Regular season is a whole lot different than playoff basketball, and so when the lights are brightest, you wonder if a guy like James Harden is going to be as willing to to pass the ball like he has so far. <laughs> and not that he was ever a bad passer in Houston, but he also mm-hmm. loved to just pound the dribble, and Kyrie Irving is yep. a guy who likes to take over games like that. Kevin Durant is somebody who likes to get his. And yeah, there's questions about a team like the Brooklyn Nets, and how well and how much continuity they're going to have once it comes to playoff time and they're being scouted by the same coaching staff night after night and played by the same players night after night. I wonder if you can force the Nets into some bad decisions that a team like the Jazz might not be as likely to make. Yeah, absolutely. I think the conversation about the Nets uh, is is very interesting because, like you mentioned, uh, you got a lot of ball-dominant guys. And, and James Harden has no problem getting the assist numbers. But in the fourth quarter, if you watch uh, James Harden's team, or I guess Rockets' teams in the past, everyone is standing and watching. So while he has no problem getting the assist numbers, there's not a whole lot of movement. And so when you're going up against teams that are solid defensively or, or I mean, that know what to expect, especially come playoff time, that, I mean, that could be a problem. Like you said, they could run into some problems there. And so another thing, like specifically Utah versus Brooklyn, if that's your finals matchup, I'm sorry, but DeAndre Jordan's going to foul out in about 35 seconds. So I don't know, like they've got no answer for Rudy Gobert in my mind. So I don't know what they're going to do, what they would do with that. But I could imagine something like that getting very frustrating uh, for Brooklyn. The last time I was on here, I mentioned how frustrating it is as an opposing team going up against the Utah Jazz and seeing Rudy Gobert just get lob after lob after lob with ease, like it's a practice drill. And so that's a problem that I think Brooklyn would really have to figure out how to address because if DeAndre Jordan 
is the I, I I don't I can't even say it with a straight face the anchor of your defense going up against an elite big like Rudy Gobert you're going to have a world of problems that's going to be oh yeah that'll be that'll be trouble for them so uh, we'll see but but definitely teams that don't have continuity um, that is that is going that might just be a, a difference maker come especially this playoff. McKay, did you have anything else? No, I think this is really good. Um, kind of with the way we've been wrapping these up is. We're just going to ask you in very general, what are your thoughts on the Jazz? What are your thoughts on the comparison to the 2011 Mavericks? And what's kind of your outlook on the Jazz season right now? Well, right now with the Jazz, I think, uh, man. So, I mean, performing very well in, in the regular season. Some We have seen teams in recent seasons perform super very well in, in the regular season. And then it's, it's a different story come the postseason. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the same thing uh, with the Utah Jazz this season. Uh, I guess saying saying that saying a team doesn't perform well in the postseason, everyone immediately goes and thinks about the Milwaukee Bucks. And the difference between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Utah Jazz is that Milwaukee in prior seasons they haven't had a whole lot of depth, and that is the difference between. And they definitely have. Well, I guess in some ways they've had continuity, but this Jazz team is different. And I don't want to just say that because I'm talking to you guys, but I really do think that they have the continuity, they have the coach, they have the star, they have two stars. They've got the depth. They've got the chemistry. I mean, they're, they've got so many things going for them, and they have the different kind of pieces. If you want to put that emphasis, like I was saying before, if you want to put an emphasis on offense or you want to put an emphasis on defense, they have the flexibility to do that. And so um, I guess going back to, to, to relay it or relate it back to the, the 2011 Mavericks team is being able to have a coach that is competent and capable of making those adjustments and, and right decisions to where I think the fan base is, is looking at Quinn Snyder and the Utah Jazz saying, we've got full faith that he, he'll be able to make the right call. And I think teams around the league are, would look at Quinn Snyder and say, look, that's not a, that's not a guy you want to go up against because he'll be able to, to figure you out. And so there really are top to bottom so many similarities between these two teams. And uh, I guess if there's anything I would leave it on, it's just like you, you couldn't underestimate the Mavs in 2011, you can't underestimate the Utah Jazz this season. Lauren, can we uh, make room on the bandwagon for you once the uh, Mavericks are eliminated <laughs> from the playoffs? <laughs> once they are, as if it's uh, as if it's imminent. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it's it. I will I will happily hop on that bandwagon because I think it would be huge for for middle market teams to see a team that that has uh, like like Rudy Gobert seeing how much he's getting paid and what how significant his role is. I think that that would do a lot for for the big men in this league. Um, and then just, yeah, middle market teams, I, I would be absolutely pushing for the Utah Jazz to win if, if my Mavericks are out. Okay, that's, I've, I've got to announce that. This is huge news. We have officially <laughs> a clean sweep of the Texas Triangle. All three Texas people that we brought on to talk in this podcast series, we had Marilyn Dubinsky with the Spurs, you with the Mavericks, mm-hmm. and Nima, I'm not even going to try and say his last name, with the Rockets. And all three of you said you, in spite of the rivalries that these teams have had, you're all going to be rooting for the Jazz come playoff time. And mm-hmm. I didn't know yeah. that that was even possible. I think it comes down to respect. Because you, you have to tip your hat to what they're doing this season. And I respect continuity. One of my biggest, I don't know if you guys have heard me talk about this, but one of my biggest pet peeves is when teams either give up on their players too quickly or they just flip their roster upside down, uh, whatever the reasons for that may be. But to continue to try and run it back and improve from within and make these uh, upgrades from, from here and there, whatever the case may be, 
and, and be successful, you have to respect that. So I think that that's why, why you'll get the nod or why you got the, the Texas Triangle nod and why you'll probably continue to get more. McKay, do you got anything else? Nope, this has been fantastic. This has been one of our better episodes. Uh, They've this all been is great, but we the, always enjoy when people come back two or three or four times. <laughs> it's, awesome. It's well, been a ton of so fun, Lauren. I love talking basketball with you. It's <laughs> I feel like I always learn something talking basketball with you. If there's a point to podcasts, isn't that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think we all can uh, teach each other some things, but that, that means a lot. Thank you so much. All right. Well, if you want to, could you remind the uh, listeners where they can find your work How again? How many ends do you have in your Twitter handle again? <laughs> 17. Four. I know. No, I know. It's bad. It's four. Uh, but yes, so all my Mavs Moneyball articles are linked to my Twitter page. It's at Gun with four ends on Twitter. Um, and I also co-host the Blue Hardwood podcast with Brian Zillum, along with uh, I, I co-host the Gunshot with my brother, Grant Gunn. And McCade, where are you at? You can find me at McCadePH, it's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-H, you know what to do. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter, at BPriest24, that's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24, and you can find Homecourt Press on Twitter with its own fresh new account at homecourt underscore press. If you like what you're hearing, remember to share, rate, and review. This has been a continuation of our jazz comparison series, and... Uh, you know, at this point, we've recorded so many shows. I don't know when this one's coming out or what's going to be coming out after this one. So you're just going to have to check in yeah. and find out. Take note. Hey, take a quick look at Snyder. Now take a quick look at Spider. Since 08, yeah, I've been a rider. Utah Jazz keep getting higher. Damn, all I can say now is whoa. Royce with the D, Royce with the O. One thing Jazz Nation gotta know. Clarkson's nickname is Dickle on the road four more threes from jiggling joe my breath stopped with donovan gone but ingles came out looking like lebron like damn conley with the midas touch bogey drops 30 yeah that's clutch utah jazz is doing their thing my all-star vote hashtag niang i do not like the lakers i just like d favors utah jazz they rock my socks go bear i love you and i love all your blocks are we surprised this is a year we collect our prize 2021 utah jazz champs heard it here first now blast this jam like damn it's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, cause the egg bomb crew just won by 30. What you gonna do like that? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, cause the egg bomb crew just won by 30. What you gonna do like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, cause the egg bomb crew just won by 30. What you gonna do like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, cause the egg bomb crew just won by 30. Hold up, hold up. Coming wrong strong. Darvin, 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 Darvin,